as we listen to the sweet sound this is a big week. of Switch Mob. This is a big week. Why? Because as we speak, Switch Mob is on the stage at Electric Bowery in New York City. Nah. That's nothing compared to what's the big week, Dr. Esteban Marcone? It's out. What is out? Tell me what is out, Dr. Esteban. Released on Friday. Friday, March 20, Trez? I think it was two. Yeah, 20 dose. <laughs> See, what, what what came out, Dr. Esteban Marconi, on Music that, Biz 101 and more? We did it again. What did we do, Dr. Esteban? Two years in a row. What did we do? Three out of five. What did we do? Four out of... Um, <laughs> you know what we did. And we acknowledged for doing it. <sighs> Dr. Esteban Maybe Marconi and I were how arrested. How about a contest? What? We could do a contest okay. right now. First person tweet into... Have, 17th as tweeter. <laughs> That's right. 17th tweet. <laughs> And tell us that what made us famous again right. three times in five years. Yeah. 14, well, 18, 19. Years. Right. Um, 50% ratio. Right. We'll win the Family prize. Grade. Yes. Okay. Oh, and also, if you're listening to the podcast and it's 2025, 17th tweeter, it stands to know what we're talking about <laughs> here right. at the University of William Patterson. Correct. In March, year of our Lord, 2019, you will receive, let's see, this is 2021, I'm saying on the podcast, um, you'll receive uh, $1,000 from Dr. Esteban Marconi in Monopoly money. That's right. Very little. Sent to your house. So, with that in mind, Music Biz 101 and Moss. They have until 830. We you have until 8.30. Yeah. Eastern Standard Time. Correct. Not Pacific Time. Might not Central. Not Mountain. Mountain. Closer to 9, actually. Yes. But it's a very good deal. And we'll tell our <laughs> guest, Mike Green, who is a Senior Director of Digital Mar Marketing and Strategy for ADA Alternative Distribution Alliance, mm -hmm. when he calls in. We will... I'm just going to give a quick check to make sure. Here we go. Here's his email. Hey, guys, can you please share the number for me to call in? 973 Mike 720 2738. There. I was just thinking, I haven't heard from Mike today. He was on vacation, I think. Uh. So, anyway, we didn't need him for another 60 seconds. So, we're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. We have behind the glass, there is no glass. It's just a cool thing to say, and all the DJs say it. Dr. Ashley Veltner. Dr. Ashley Veltner. How are you, Ashley? Woo! Good to have you here, hon. What were you called today by Def Leppard? 
Def Leppard. She met Def Leppard today, the entire band. Who was it? Who? Rick Allen, the drummer? Yeah, what was he the drummer. He uh, called me Darling. Darling. He said, thank you, Darling. Mm-hmm. With and an English accent, so it was okay. He had an English okay. accent, and I was, like, really touched. Oh, it's very nice. <laughs> if it was Australian, it would have been inappropriate. English, it's okay. Yeah. So good for you. <laughs> and he's calling in now. So therefore... Uh, so thank you, Ashley. We have a very special guest with us right now, our student guest host. Her name is Amanda Rolon, right? Yep. Roland? Rolone. Rolone. <laughs> Amanda, good to have you here. How are you, Amanda? Good. How Ro- are you? Good. Amanda is Irish, is it not? No. What are you talking about, Amanda? It's not Irish. St. No. <laughs> Patty's Day is our favorite day of the year, you know, Dr. Esteban. Yes. <laughs> I wore you- black. <laughs> Every St. Patty's Day. What do you do here, Amanda? What's your What's your gig here, William Patterson University? I'm, I'm currently studying popular music, and I'm minoring in music and entertainment industry. Yes, very good. She got it right. Very uh, good. And you know what what the big deal is that happened here with the with our program? Yes. Yes. But you won't tell what yeah, it is until eight thirty. All right. And Mike Green is going to know once we get him on the air mm-hmm. at eight thirty. He's going to be very surprised what's going on. Uh, hey, everybody. Hey, guys, subscribe to our newsletter at the link below. MusicBiz101WP.com. Sign up for the Instagram, the Twitter, the Fasta book at MusicBiz101WP. P, of course, our podcast and all the podcasts, more than 200. That's a 200-plus iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and wherever else you podcast. We should give thanks, Dr. Esteban, yes? Yes. Give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. at White Hat Management. With artists like Dave Matthews, Trez Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. Hyphen. <laughs> CPA.com, when you're ready, not when they're ready. No. When you're ready, it's about you, not about them. And they know that. They know that. They love you. And uh, let us give thanks to Christine Vey, a wealth manager and president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many professionals at William Patterson and other institutions and other businesses manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If somebody like you, is looking for some guidance from somebody like her on how to plan for your retirement or if you have questions on anything from investments, portfolio management, or insurance and retirement planning, give Christine a call at, you'll repeat after me, Amanda, 732-732-455-1510. Excellent job. You will stop repeating. You can also email her, Christine at veywealth.com for advisement. Yes. the last oil off for savings. That's all we would ever ask you to do. Managing your band, sixth edition is out. Just know it. It's out. This is the fifth year of our show. We're very excited. Mm-hmm. The other big announcement will come shortly at the 830 hour. That's 21 minutes from now. But would you be a love and pull up our good friend Michael Green? Miguel Green, Miguel Verde of ADA. How are you, Mike? How are you? Wow. What an introduction! Yeah. You deserve, I was telling <laughs> a, for having me. I was telling a class today. If this was like the 1700s, your name would be Miguel Verde, and you would be very well respected. But now, in the 2010s, you're simply Mike Green. Yeah, no, I I, pre, I appreciate the flavor. I was actually a Spanish minor in college, so yeah. oh, uh, you know, I'll 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 rock the Miguel Verde. That's, <laughs> Here we go, Rocket Baby. That changed your new your Instagram name is at Miguel Verde. That would be great. Go for it. So, Mike, Senior Director in Digital Marketing uh, and Strategy, ADA. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philpin. We have our good friend, Dr. Esteban Marconi, who's going to begin the third degree with you. Are you okay with that? I'm okay. Okay. I consent. Okay. 
Great, Mike. Glad you're here. I guess we're not. Yes, no, we're very glad. <laughs> okay, we're <laughs> and glad he's to glad to be here as well. Anyway, my first, uh, it's not really a question. It's um, more of a congratulation as we are now starting to see more and more graduates of our music business programs that are doing quite well in the industry. And you are a graduate of one of the NYU programs? That's correct. Yeah, I attended uh, the NYU Music Business Program in the Steinhardt School. Aha. Uh -huh. um, so, yeah, as you alluded to, there's the, there's the other program, the Clive Davis Program in Tisch, which a lot of uh, people are familiar with as well. But, yeah, I was in the Steinhardt Program, uh, class of 2011. Mm -hmm. And what instrument did you play? Well, I auditioned on um, guitar and drums. So uh, at the, I, it might have changed, but at the time, um, you know, the audition process was basically uh, film yourself and send in a DVD mm -hmm. um, uh, of a little bit of performance. So, so I played a um, Stevie Ray Vaughan song on the guitar what, to the best of my ability. What song? <laughs> what song? Uh, Scuttle button. Oh, I know that song. I can't say I played it fully up to speed. But, um, <laughs> for 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 some for for a kid that was playing, uh, you know, mostly mostly punk and rock and that that sort of thing in high school, it was, uh, you know, right. it, it was a fun one, something right. different. Yeah, it's a great song. Okay, so what kind of internships did you do in the program? Yeah, so a uh, great thing about the program is. Uh, three internships as part of the coursework. Um, the first one I did was at Universal Music Publishing. Mm -hmm. um, our, our publishing um, professor, Jennifer Blakeman, was an executive over there for, for many years, and um, her class was, was just so fun and um, kind of turned me on to publishing. So did that one there, and then um, next I, I interned at a startup, um, which was called Headliner FM at the time, mm. which was kind of a... Um, platform for artists to cross-promote each other um, on social media. There was kind of a, a virtual currency um, where you would, you know, earn credit effectively for promoting other artists and vice versa. Um, so that was kind of interesting. I think mm -hmm. uh, the company morphed uh, into something else and might have kind of expanded their product outside of just, just music. Um, uh, but that was kind of a fun, scrappy environment mm -hmm. to be in uh, at the time. And then uh, my final internship, which was my senior year, my second semester senior year, was at the Orchard mm -hmm. um, in the in the client services team. So um, that was also exciting because you know, growing company, um, very yeah. kind of forward thinking and tech driven, and um, you know, we. <laughs> however, we were doing a lot of uh, metadata ingestion at the time, um, which. Uh, which might be dry to some people, but there's, there's some satisfaction in that. And um, can you explain you what know, that is? Explain what that sure. is, because yeah. half the people don't know. Sure. So uh, I believe in this case it was you know the the orchard was um, either acquiring catalogs or doing uh, doing new distribution agreements for for different labels and mostly international at the time, if if I remember correctly. And um, I think you know even as as recent as 2011, what we'd be doing was for any newly, you know, signed repertoire, um, we were um, ripping CDs um, from physical, right? So taking information from physical products, in this case CDs, um, 
ripping them um, digitally and then making sure that all the metadata, so the artist name, the track title, the release date, the is what track on the CD is it, what label released it, um, you know, all those kind of key data points, making sure that those were um, in place so that when the content was put through the Orchard's distribution systems, it was all correct. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so money flowing back to the right labels um, and, you know, easy for search, um, those types of things. So in this case, it was a bit of, um, it was classical repertoire, which if you're familiar with that, the, the track titles can get very, <laughs> uh, very long and also very specific. You know, the iTunes style guide at the time was kind of the leading, yeah. um, you know, metadata um, kind of style. And so kind of had to adhere to that. Um, but really, for me, kind of gives you, gave me an appreciation of, of the importance of, of those types of things. Yeah, that's very important for the Orchard, too, of course. So then uh, how did you get to Warner? So uh, a couple months after graduating, um, I, I started a job at Razor & Tie, mm -hmm. um, which was a longstanding uh, independent label based in New York City, um, which was kind of formed in the early 90s, which did a lot of direct response television compilations. Mm -hmm. um, kids Bop. They had Kids Bop. As well as Kids Bop, yeah. Did you, um, did, so you with, when I, did you work with Joanne Chinton? That was, uh, that was, she was before my time. Ah. Um, but, but I did get to participate in Kids Bop. So when I was there, it was shortly after a, a new um, head of marketing and A&R and &R had... Um, had joined and, um, you know, the roster became more rock, hard rock and metal leaning, um, mm -hmm. on the label side. Um, and, uh, you know, simultaneously the kids bop business was doing very well for them. Um, so that was pretty interesting for me to be able to come in as a digital marketing assistant and, you know, on one hand be working warp tour bands and deathcore bands, um, you know, and then, the, the next hour be, you know, working on media buying for Kids Bop 31 or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, and at the time, again, with their um, compilation business, they still had a, a, a decently healthy um, e-commerce business where they would sell those compilations and other kind of unique products that they, that they, um, that they had. So uh, Razor and Tide was a great experience. I mean, really, uh, was able to establish kind of a well-rounded foundation in digital marketing, you know, everything from social media strategy to uh, digital advertising uh, and media buying mm -hmm. to, you know, email marketing, uh, e-commerce. Um, so that was, uh, I was there from 2011 to 2015 and then moved over here to Warner and joined, uh, joined ADA on the, in the label services team. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess people, uh, Dave and I were talking this uh, this afternoon, and we were wondering, because your title, as many titles in marketing are now called digital marketing, how much of non-digital marketing is left? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I think there's still, 
There's still some, but it's definitely less than before. You know, I mean, you think about what are the core tenants of marketing, um, what the actual product is, you know, the pricing, mm-hmm. um, how are you messaging that? I mean, you know, we're no longer really making too many CDs, you know, for, you know, um, in the first place. Um, vinyl continues to be, um, you know, a, a pretty healthy revenue driver for, for us, definitely ADA, working with so many independent labels. Um, I think across the industry, you know, we're seeing that, we're seeing that growth. Um, but, you know, we're not, we're, we're certainly not doing as many kind of like out of home billboard campaigns. Um, you know, I think events, um, you know, outside of any artist touring, um, can be really important and fun and special, but again, they're, they're so localized. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, just the, the power of digital, the reach that you can get, um, you know, with a couple clicks of the button is, it, it's really hard to, uh, it's, it's really hard to hold a candle to that, you know, when you think about traditional marketing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, how much contact do you have with the influencers? That's definitely a growing, you know, part of what, what we're doing here, um, at ADA. I know you guys had Jordan Chalmers on recently. Correct. Um, yes. And uh, he's uh, he's just upstairs in the building, too. So we're definitely bouncing ideas off each other um, pretty regularly. Um, you know, it's a it's a super important space, and it's uh, but it's also kind of a, a tough space. You know, it's one that I don't think the industry has fully, fully figured out yet. Um, still kind of remains a little bit of a Wild West, but we definitely um, see the value there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, are always looking for opportunities to really pair our content or pair our partners up um, with kind of the right creators and the right communities. Um, you know, I think you look at um, the way a lot of, you know, YouTube creators and, you know, influencers um, have really been able to build up crazy audiences and with a lot of trust, too. Um, so I think that younger consumers are really valuing um the opinions and the tastes of, of a lot of these individuals, um, you know, before, before brands or big media companies, you know? Um, so, so we really see the value and, um, you know, I think, I think that's going to be a growing emphasis for us and for the industry in general. Mm-hmm. We asked Jordan too, uh, on this very subject and how do you measure sort of success or how do you measure that it was worthwhile that that influence influencer was valid and credible and so on but and he answered it was very difficult because it's at such early stages yeah exactly it's you know we're still for the most part reliant on um you know the tools that that any given platform uh, allow us to access right so um you know, we could run a campaign uh, on Instagram. We can see the video views, but we can't see how many people actually, you know, tapped back over to view my artist profile. Um, you know, we can look at the Spotify analytics that day or the following day and see if there was a bump, mm-hmm. um, you know, and look at across different DSPs. But, you know, unless you're looking at something directly like maybe it's an Instagram story campaign where there's a swipe up, you know, and we can put a tracking link in there. Um, or they can, you know, or, or the influencer can provide, you know, a screenshot of what the impressions were or what the swipes were. Um, you know, it, it can be, it can be really difficult. Um, 
and again, there's so many ways to go about it too. You know, you could have a track just placed, you know, in somebody's video, or you could have the artist in the video too. It's so kind of dependent on the content as well. Um, you know, so it's, mm. we kind of have to look uh, at a number of different kind of data points um, mm -hmm. to, to determine where the value was. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think luckily I'm in a position here where, where experimentation is, is pretty welcomed, um, you know, and, and the, the artists and the managers that we're working with are coming to us um, for, uh, to try new things. So, um, you know, whether, whether we're seeing a, you know, a direct conversion on clicks or swipes, or, you know, we're seeing it translate, you know, a little bit more passively on a different platform, like say YouTube views. I think there's an appreciation to be trying it, um, mm -hmm. you know, in comparison to say traditional media buying or something like that. Mm -hmm. We jumped ahead a little bit. Um, and we forgot to ask you to explain what ADA is for the audience. Yeah. No, I appreciate you bringing that up because I was talking to somebody, uh, a, a younger colleague that works at uh, another major label, and she's like, what do you do? Where do you work? <laughs> you know? um, so, which made me feel a little bit like, huh? But um, so ADA um, is the independent distribution division of Warner Music Group. So we uh, do sales and marketing for, um, you know, a hundred odd labels internationally. Um, so, you know, that can be physical distribution, um, getting records, for, records on shelves, um, and digital. So, you know, we work with everybody from Sub Pop and Beggars Group to mm. Epitaph Records to BMG, um, Dual tone, rhyme sayers, mm. um, just tons and tons of amazing labels. Mute, um, polyvinyl, run for cover, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. um, Q Prime management. So um, we don't own the repertoire, but we we are kind of a, a distribution layer within Warner Music Group. Um, so our third party labels get the the benefit of the opportunities um, and sales team that Warner Music Group brings to the table at a global level, um, but kind of with that white glove day-to-day um, -day approach uh, and kind of label relations that ADA is able to bring. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I sit on a team that's called Label Services, um, and what we do is we help um, labels on a, and artists on a project-by-project -project basis um, to really be kind of like an in-house marketing and pr promotion staff. Um, so I head up digital marketing. We have um, product manager and brand partnerships. We have publicity, um, sync licensing. We have a six-person uh, radio staff covering all formats nationally. Um, so you think about the different departments that um, a traditional major label would um, be bringing to the table, and then our uh, indie label partners can tap into us um, mm -hmm. to to basically be additional boots on the ground, additional resources. Um, and uh, so, you know, whereas the ADA sales team is, you know, uh, working on 100 titles every week from across our label group, you know, we're kind of really um, in the trenches with partners, you know, maybe 
five, ten, twelve, kind of at a time, um, and you know, really getting into the day-to-day strategy and helping them roll out their projects and and grow their artists. Mm-hmm. And the labels can can jump in at any time in terms of their calendar or their marketing plan if they feel they need help. Yeah, exactly. So there's two ways that they can engage with us. One, like you just mentioned, is kind of on an a la carte monthly basis um, where, you know, they can plan that out in advance or they could say, hey, this is, re- you know, this track is really reacting. You know, we want to mm-hmm. add, more, add more fuel to the fire. Um, the second way is what we call full services. Um, and that's where at the deal level um, the, the label is is agreeing to engage um, our full suite of services mm-hmm. um, from the outset. So, you know, right. that's, you know, that, that's, that's an area that we're really zeroed in on and we're really looking um, to grow. You know, I think there's a, there's a lot of benefit to, to ADA's core distribution um, and, and sales team globally. And then, you know, for us to be able to add on um, the services layer, additional resources really, um, can take the project to that next level, especially as we're doing, you know, more direct deals with artists or with management companies, you know, who, do, who don't have a staff of their own. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's the human resources and it's also the, you know, some of the financial resources that would come along with that. And, and these labels, uh, these indie labels who are being distributed by you and with these different deals, they're not paying you cash, are there? Or maybe they are the different deals that they're signing. Some maybe they're paying you a fee. Others, it's a you're getting a percentage of of the streams of, of physical. It could be either way, that, and maybe that, more. That, yeah, that that that's correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to remind listeners. Um, besides that, we're talking with Mike Green from ADA. We had one of your uh, compatriots, Todd Horn on a couple years ago who is he still there yeah. vp of international with ada and that's a great interview because you get to hear more about what ada is and he gets to talk about the other side uh, dealing with uh, your labels and dealing with other countries and other cultures and that was actually a really cool interview mm-hmm. so um i'm glad this is a nice bookend to that w- one um very famous yeah the famous one. release was Macklemore and Lewis back in 2013, I think, with Thrift Shop. What? 2013 or 2014 with Thrift Shop, in which they claimed that they did that basically independent. We did that all by ourselves. And, in fact, they did go through was it with ADA or through Warner, but they had a label services deal who actually worked that song at radio. Can you speak on that at all? Sure. Yeah, okay. yeah. That was... Uh... That was through ADA. Okay. Um, and, yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, tr- transformative, um, um, you know, r- release for the organization. Um, I, w- I joined ADA in 2015, so I wasn't, um, I wasn't there at the time, but I did work um, Macklemore's uh, recent solo album, Gemini. Um, so... You know, I can attest to the fact that those guys really come to the table with um, with a pretty clear vision and obviously really known for their music videos, too. Um, you know, so the, that that's a situation where um, the, you know, artist has a very clear vision of, 
of what they want their project to be, what the, you know, what the visual aesthetic is, what the content rollout is. Um, and then, yeah, they're plugging into our teams domestically and across the world to, to communicate that vision to, to accounts and to consumers. Um, so, yeah, Macklemore has been, been amazing for, for ADA and um, great kind of experience for me personally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that kind of really set the tone for what a future, um, you know, what the future of a record label could be, right, for an artist. He mm-hmm. owns all his masters. He handles all the um, producer agreements and legal and paperwork. He, you know, decides the cover art. He makes the videos. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and again, we're just his amplifier um, and, you know, plugging in into different opportunities um, around the globe. But... But again, that kind of serving uh, as a model for a lot of, um, you know, partners that that we certainly like to do business with on the label services side, um, where we're the artist is able to maintain creative control and autonomy, um, and and we are really working working on their behalf. And you know, from a, from a marketing standpoint, all the budgets are mutually agreed upon. You know, they're. Their money, their marketing budget is our marketing budget. So, um, you know, we could propose something, and the artist could say, "Well, you know, we're we're not, actually not feeling it. Maybe we want to try something else." You know, um, so you mentioned you also, really to, yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't want to cut you off, but you mentioned also that uh, you worked with Q Prime. Is that the same sort of thing? Artists have their own label that are yeah. with them. Yeah. So I, I haven't worked any Q Prime releases, but they have our deals with what's called Q Prime Label Group. Um, so I can think of you know each of their artists has kind of their own imprint, mm-hmm. right? So Baroness has their Abraxas Hymns, and um, Dawes has their own imprint, and Bare Hands has their own label. Um, so so yeah, I mean. From my understanding, Q Prime also has, you know, they have digital marketing and publicity and digital sales in-house too. Um, so they usually come into our um, distribution sales team with a pretty, pretty buttoned-up plan in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're just kind of again taking that, taking that to the masses and taking that to the accounts and, um, you know, the indie record stores and the mass merchant retailers and all the DSPs. Does that include Metallica? Because I think Q Prime is their management team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we worked with them on the Hardwire to Self-Destruct okay. um, release. And another another great one for ADA, um, you know, and talk about ADA's kind of presence in the Warner building. With that one, um, we were able to set up um, ticket bundling um, around their tour months after the album came out. Um, and that just, that just sent the album right, you know, again, to the top of the billboard charts, um, with the, with the magnitude of Metallica's, um, you know, touring business, uh, our ability to cap, you know, kind of upsell even a you know, percentage of those ticket buyers, um, into the album was, was really, really meaningful. Mm-hmm. How specifically did that promotion work, the ticket bundling? And, right. and, and- Okay, and the follow-up, I'll ask the follow-up in advance. How specific, like, how specifically did it work, and what can DIY artists follow any of that path on their own, unsigned artists? No, that, that's a that's a great question. 
Um, I can't speak too specifically to the details of that campaign because um, I was not personally involved in that. Um, but it was a partnership with Warner Artist Services, and I believe you guys have spoken to Matt and Matt Dan. Wood. Matt and Dan, yeah. Yeah, yeah Matt and Dan, yeah. So um, really nice to see different business units uh, collaborating always. But, I mean, I guess from a basic standpoint, um, it would be a situation where um, the the album is bundled into the price of a ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, they did that with um, Bruno Mars as well. They've done that with others. Yeah, so, yeah, we'll yeah. okay. Can yeah, that's certainly certainly something we we push for. Um, you know, whenever whenever possible. So, I mean, thinking to to your second question about how can can DIY and emerging artists approach that. Um, I mean, I think it. I think it's you know it's easy. It's not necessarily maybe done you know electronically, but um could absolutely see artists giving away a free piece of merch right if you come to the show um things like that where you can kind of incentivize fans to be present um it could be something experiential like a uh hang with the band before the show or get to see an acoustic set before the show i mean imagine you know the vip experiences that artists are selling but you're just you're just doing it you know for your fans um, you know, w- with or without that that extra charge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, in terms of of business models, um, you have people, and I'm going sort of DIY, and then stepping up, up, up. So you have the DIY artist who's, a, you know, let's let's say it's a kid in college who's in a band. So there's that, and if they want, they can use an aggregator. They can use. Uh, CD Baby, TuneCore, DistroKid, get their music up everywhere it needs to go. Um, the next step would be, um, you know, the one in a billion shot, you know, the Chance the Rapper, the Stormzy kind of person who can, it appears, do everything on their own. And you can tell me, us, if you know anything, if they're more of a Macklemore thing and just nobody knows it. Um, and then after that, it's not an artist who's signing with ADA. It's them pulling the Macklemore model, for example, and sort of creating their own label. And that label, through that artist's success, is signing with ADA some sort of different type of services or distribution agreement. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would, you, would you like me to elaborate on that, <laughs> sure. that growth? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, please yeah, do. Well, well, pick an, yeah, pick an example that, um, that the audience might uh, know but not be aware of how intricate your ADA was involved with it? Sure. Um, let me think of one. You know, I think Lil Dicky uh, mm-hmm. is a great mm-hmm. example, which started out as um, a, you know, management company as, as label um, arrangement with the commission. Um, so, you know, again, I kind of jumped on that project after Professional Rapper had already been out. But, um, you know, looking looking at him having built an amazing presence for himself, um, you know, on YouTube, on Reddit, on social media, um, and being able to take that into kind of a more formal, um, you know, more formal situation through his management company, um, you know, being able to use the... 
um, the leverage of his managers and of and of Warner Music Group to then like secure a future with Fetty Wap, um, you know, and Richard McQuan for Save That Money. Um, and that's a situation um, where then tapped into additional Warner label services um, to take the song to radio, to handle sync licensing, um, you know, so again, climbing the rungs of the ladder, um, you know, building a really tremendous kind of um, organic audience on socials, increasingly on DSPs and, um, you know, out touring as well. Um, so, you know, his management company had commissioned, you know, partnering up with BMG. Um, so then kind of transitioning that into his Freaky Friday single um, with Chris Brown, his most recent release, um, you know, which again was kind of all hands on deck, global sales and marketing push from BMG, um, ADA, and, you know, increasingly Warner frontline teams. Um, so that was obviously a tremendous hit for him. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, with Lil Dicky, kind of a good example of starting right from a from a rapper basically in his bedroom, um, making some really amazing content and, and growing that up from, um, you know, uh, management as label situation. Um, you know, he, I don't, to, to my knowledge, they still haven't signed with, um, you know, a, a, a traditional record label, if you will. Um, I know uh, Lil Dicky's working on a TV show now, so he's focused on that. But um, that's you know that that was kind of a fantastic project for for ADA as well. And again, one we're able to kind of add layers and add resources along the way. That was a great explanation. Mm -hmm. So so thank mm -hmm. you for that. Um, an artist like and and you may just not know, but I'll ask uh, an artist like Chance the Rapper. Is he doing? Is he more independent, as independent as everybody thinks he is, or is he not? From what you know. Well, from what I know, um, they've they've done an amazing job of of actually building out uh, a team, right, mm -hmm. and and a series of businesses. So when you think about what is independent, you know, it's easy mm -hmm. to just think of, or some people might just think of like, oh, it's just a guy, and he's all doing it himself. Mm -hmm. Like right. Chance the Rapper is the only person that's like. No, that's not the case. He's built, you know, he's built a publishing company. He's built a label for himself. Um, he has a staff, um, you know. So it's, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it always takes a village. I think you think about independently as what that means, kind of, from a, you know, ownership standpoint. So he's extremely independent. I mean, I don't know the nature of the deals that he has with the DSPs, for example, um, but you know. You could argue that, you know, with those types of deals, um, the DSPs are acting like your label, your sales staff in some way, just that they own the real estate. <laughs> so, um, you know, they're kind of incentivized to be promoting the artists as well. Great. Okay. Um, yeah. Mike, by the way, you're doing a great job. Yes. And I'm not being facetious. You're giving some great answers. So thank you. And I'm sorry you're not here because you'd have gotten 16 hugs from us already. <laughs> May I make a quick... Well, thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you. I'm sorry we don't have eye contact, so you don't know when I'm done speaking. <laughs> um, well, uh, can I make a quick announcement, Mike? You may. Thank you. And I should have said may instead of can, so thank you. Our announcement, we're 11 minutes late, is... Oh. 
that William Patterson University's music and entertainment industries undergrad and MBA program has been recognized. Recognized. Hello. Recognized for the second year in a row by Billboard magazine as one of the top music business programs in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there we go, Mike. So uh, and, and Steinhardt's on that. Yes, yeah, Steinhardt's on that. So you don't it. don't feel bad that you went to a loser school because you didn't. <laughs> By the way, we had one of your. Um, I don't know if she taught there, Marcy Allen. Do you know Marcy? I do not know Marcy. Uh, she's from Mac Presents, and she runs her own company, and she now uh, teaches at Steinhardt. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an adjunct there, but she runs a company that does uh, branding, sponsorships, getting uh, artists, connecting them with the corporate world. Like she does lots of things with Citibank, for example, connecting artists and tours to. Uh, to corporate America. So um, anyway, so we had her on the show recently, and uh, if she knew about you, she'd say hello. Was that a tweet? We We have a tweet for you now, Michael. May we read this tweet to you? Yes. Okay. Amanda Rolan is our uh, student co-host, and she's going to say hello, and then she's going to read the tweet. (laughs) Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. So we have a question here from Patrick Gannon, and he said, Mr. Green, how do you maintain pace with the rapidly evolving nature of digitalized marketing and social media? So how do you keep up with how it quickly evolves? Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question. And that's kind of um, that's one of the uh, like core core responsibilities Mm -hmm. of a digital marketer. And honestly, one of the challenges Um, you know, I think it's one, it's staying up on the news. Um, I think it's, you know, having conversations with other people in the industry too, knowing, you know, other people at different labels, management companies who are doing similar things as you and kind of bouncing ideas or questions off each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's to not, uh, not be afraid of new things um, and not be afraid to dive in. Um, you know, when you, when you hear about apps or, or new platforms or, um, new trends, I think it's, you you have to be open-minded and you have to be, to be excited, um, to, to, to get involved. You have to be curious. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if, I think the, the worst thing you could do is be too set in your ways. Um, because to his point, things are moving so rapidly now, um, that, that you gotta you gotta try your best to kind of stay on the wave and and, and keep moving, um, but you can't do that without without the willingness to do so and and just kind of that natural natural curiosity. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a question that's going to lead into another tweet for you, and it, and and you did mention Spotify. I'm sorry, you meant earlier. You know the things that you can see, the trends, the the numbers from, for example, Instagram. Um, do you have a, at ADA? Do you have access to certain analytics that DIY artists don't? For example, if you're a DIY artist and you upload a new song to Spotify through DistroKid, for the first seven days, you actually get to see up to the almost second number of streams that you're getting on a particular song. After that seven days, it goes away and you just have to wait 24 hours to see an update. Do you guys have more relevant and more up-to-date information and more uh, in-depth information than the typical DIY artist? Yeah, I, I, I would say yes and no. Um, and I think it's about presentation, too. I mean, you know, we are, um, you know, our internal systems have taken a, 
an extreme amount of data on a daily basis. So we can definitely, um, you know, see things that a DIY artist might not be able to see. And, you know, maybe that's just because those tools aren't out there yet. You know, there's, there's tools that artists can use, like Spotify for Artists, YouTube Analytics, um, you know, that, that we have access to as well. But, you know, for example, we're getting access um, to data from Amazon Music, which, you know, a, a DIY artist might not be able to see directly. Um, so I think you see different services rolling out different products that cater to artists um, in different ways. But, um, you know, in terms of that real-time data, I always think it's actually best to just go to the platform that you're interested in. Um, or, you know, I, I'm not super privy to what DistroKid's dashboard looks like, so I can't speak to that. But, um, you know, there's definitely tools out there that cater to artists more specifically um, than they cater to, to, you know, massive record labels that are taking in tons and tons of data constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know. Great. And that ties into this next tweet that Amanda is going to read to you. So we have another question that was tweeted in. This is actually a question that I had myself. I know a few people were interested in this. So just simply, what advice do you have for DIY artists who have to do their own digital marketing? Sure. I would say, um, you know, kind of know who you are from the outset and and try to kind of establish your your voice and your visual identity and some element of consistency Um from the outset. Um, I think it's really important to have a type brand. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a photographer friend, um, that you have, or a videographer, you know, look to those other creative people in your community and your circles to, to help you. Um, you know, I think also kind of consistency is important too, not only with, um, you know, what you're doing on social and how you're promoting yourself, but, how often you're releasing music um, and how often you're releasing content. Um, you know, you need to, in, you know, increasingly cut through the clutter. Um, and I think that having a steady flow of all that is, is, a, is a really great place to start. Um, you know, I also think that collaboration can be really valuable too. Um, you know, everybody's living on Instagram. Everybody's living in, in, in the DMs in some way mm-hmm. or another. Um, so I think those are great tools for artists to connect with one another, um, try to get on a track, try to play a show, um, you know, co-promote each other, you know, when you're, when you're releasing music. Um, I think kind of being able to establish a community, both in terms of, um, your own creativity and what your output is, um, you know, along with you know, your ability to kind of lift up other artists as they lift you up um, is is really important. Okay. Another, oops, another tweet for you from Amanda. Okay. This question from Kevin Daniel says, how much work do you end up taking home after a typical day as a digital marketer? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a fair bit. It's a fair bit for sure. Um, and that's always, you know, it's always something that we're trying to do is, is draw the line and maintain that work-life balance. Um, you know, I would say maybe a typical day here is, is 
10 to 7 or 7.30 in the office, but um, uh, definitely a compulsive email checker and, um, you know, always kind of always attending to things. Um, you know, I was on vacation the last few days and, you know, yet I'm still finding myself sending emails at 1 in the morning. Um, so, so it really never stops. And, um, you know, I think digital marketers – favorite night of the week is always is always Thursday and I say that facetiously because that's when we are um, up for the for the store turns when new tracks are mm-hmm. being released making sure that all the socials are up to date the links are updated and going out properly um, you know the artist is doing what they need to do and building anticipation so um, you know look the the internet never turns off right yeah. so it's it, it really is 24-7, and um, it can be difficult to find a balance. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, it comes mm-hmm. home for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's almost like to work for ADA, you need to have ADD. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Yeah, that's, that's right. Joke of the Week, sponsored by ADA, Alternative Distribution Alliance. Here's a, here's a thing. Um, in playlisting now, this is something that's over the last two or three weeks I've been seeing different people writing about this idea in the trades. It's about a, turn, uh, a concept that uh, is called dry streaming. It's where lots of fans are creating many, many millions of streams for artists because of the playlist that, I, that they listen to. So uh, lots of artists are getting great streaming numbers but once the artist drops off the playlist or falls way down and they're no longer the top, say, 20 or 25 tracks, those fans who streamed the song like crazy from the, from the playlist aren't necessarily following the artist to live shows or going to the artist page and exploring new music from that artist. More like they're fans of the playlist, but not so much fans of the artists who are on the playlist. Mm. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And have you seen any of that in um the analytics that you see yeah no absolutely that that that's a real thing um you know i was talking to somebody else the other day and it was like if you're developing artists like the last thing you want to do is get on new music friday maybe Mm -hmm. right because you'll see that you'll see that first day spike and then you know a lot of those people aren't going to follow you um uh, so it's you know it it's definitely a challenge um, and it's that, it's that kind of fine line where certainly for, for developing artists, um, you know, or mid-level artists, you want that exposure that a, that a, you know, well-followed and highly engaged playlist can bring. Um, but it's, how are you, you know, how are you balancing the possibility of a lot of those listeners not, not following along? Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't think we've, really figured out a solution to that just yet um at least in my experience you know i think you know what we always try to say is you know just because you got on a playlist doesn't mean you know your work's over you Mm -hmm. know that you're golden Mm -hmm. um you know we still need to be building a buzz and doing marketing and digital marketing off platform um because there's a lot of other places where artists can be growing fans and building a community um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a tricky situation. And I mean, you, you know, you also think about how personalized and, you know, allegatorial playlists are getting now too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that can, you know, that could go two ways also, you know, services getting more 
more automated based on the time of day or your location or, or your listening habits. Um, you know, I don't know. Does that, you know, it's, it's designed for, for a longer listening session to keep people on the app, um, to keep people streaming. Um, but again, at what point do they tune out, right? At what point does that just become uh, wallpaper, the background music? Mm-hmm. Um, versus kind of engaged listening with mm-hmm. intent. So yeah, it's it's uh, tough because if you're real the, thing. if you're the indie artist, you're trying to get on the playlist, get get people to add you to their personal playlists, and make that algorithm in Spotify know that people are engaging with your song. Yet, exactly what you're saying, you also need to take the time to play live, to be on Instagram, to do all the other things to get engagement from fans directly do DMing, do all those things, mm-hmm. have come up with some really interesting promotion, have a listening party, do a dance or do something uh, in addition to just making sure that you can get a bunch of streams on Spotify. It's finding the right mix. Yeah, because, you know, when the, when the, when the bottom falls out of your streams, you know, it's, it's, it's what are you left with and who's going to be, who's going to be there when you release your next track or your next project, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's, it's again it's like being able to use all the tools that are out there for you or that a given service provides so it could be you know asking you know asking your artist excuse me asking your fans to you know pre-save your track before it comes out to make sure that it ends mm. up on you know people's release radars and in their collections or you know making sure that you know your Instagram followers are also following you on Spotify and not just streaming mm-hmm. um, you know all those different touch points um you know to 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 try to try to influence the algorithm or you know really you know establish your fan base so so that they're there next time whether or not you know you're on pollen or whatever right okay well this has been a great we we need to pretty much wrap it up final question is when does tennis season start mike baseball season starts tomorrow what about tennis because you're a huge tennis fan 24 7 Tennis, tennis should be should be starting soon. Maybe once it warms up a little bit. Right. Um, I I can't say I've uh, I can't say I've been playing as much as I was in my in my glory days, but it's certainly a certainly on the to do list for for 2019. So I got to get those rackets strung up. All right, Mike Green making yes. a racket at ADA. Woo! Mike, thank you very much for being on Music Biz 101 and more. No, thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it, and uh, had a lot of fun. And by the way, we yeah. should thank Emily Case, who you, who was your who went here and who was your intern at Asylum Records, who was able to hook us up with you. So thank you, uh, Mike. Yeah, and thanks to Emily, who yeah. as as you know, as we uh, did this interview, Emily was on stage at, Electri- at Bowery Electric playing with her band Switch Mob, so she couldn't be here tonight. Uh-huh. She still likes you, though. Shout out Emily and Switch Mob. That's awesome. That's great for there her. Go. Good for her. Well, thanks again, Mike. We appreciate it. We will clap for you one more time. Thank you again, Michael. Yes. Michael Green. Thank Miguel you. Yes. Verde. Thanks. Take care. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thank Bye. you. Excellent show. We need to wrap up very, very quickly. Good. But that was really good. Amanda, you got something out of that? Yeah, that was super... Amanda's an up-and-coming CCM artist, not County College of Morris, but contemporary Christian music. Yes. And so hopefully you could take some of these lessons with you to make yourself uh, as big as Amy Grant. Oh. Schmaltzy 80s, but there we go. But Finn Skill's wife, so she's doing fine. So we want to thank Ashley for doing the engineering. Thank you, love.
thank you, hon. No, thank you, darling. Thank you, darling. Uh, Amanda, thank you very much, sir, for being thank here. You for Amanda, me. love, appreciate that. And Doc, next week? To be determined. <gasps> I was holding out because we have um, a couple of very cool guests coming. Um, one we booked for three weeks from now, mm -hmm. but didn't come tomorrow so we'll uh i reached out to somebody today we'll hopefully have somebody tomorrow okay who we will announce very cool and um dr Stavon, we should thank you for being awesome and for being well, here well thank you very much and also my great co-host professor david kirk Philp. that is i as we leave you you will listen to the sweet sounds of maybe, zach matari and dansando maybe hmm? next week we should do our npr show Next week, it will be presented yeah. by National Public Radio on Brave New Radio. Way too oh. fast. We'll be, instead of NPR, we'll Way be too fast. There we go. So thank you, Ashley. Ashley's lower. going crazy. Why are they still talking? They should be off the air. There are people of who want the show after us. Yes. Thank you. And at the end of every, end of every show, we don't say hello. No, that we would, don't. That'd be silly, wouldn't it? Do yes, you know what we say, Amanda? At the end of every show, we say, adios. Repeat adios. after me. Come on. Adios. Adios. adios.